And to begin my message this morning, I'm going to ask that we proceed with that first intro thing. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about me, but just some of the other guys, you know. Coming up on the show... <laughs> Terrific. Can I help you? What do you want? Well, just calm down, man. I missed the last category. Did you win? No, we didn't win, all right? And oh, that's a bummer. The uh, Emmy for Direct... No, that it makes a lot of sense, but it's... You must be really bummed out. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. Thank you. So you're not, you're not going to get a trophy? No, I don't get a trophy then. No. Are you finished? Is, you who, done? Wait, who did get a trophy? Who won? John Oliver. He was just out yes. here. What do you mean, who yes. won? Yes. They know. I knew. I had him in my pool. Do you mind if I continue with the show? No, I mean... Oh, I'm sorry. What am I doing? I'm, this is so humiliating. I'm sorry. I mean, you lost, and now you got to stand out here for the rest of the night in front of everybody. That's really... No, I mean, when you probably just want to go home and curl up and cry. I'm sorry, but let's say, hey, can we cheer Jimmy up? How about, he, he's a big loser. Big round of applause. No, big loser. No, no, I don't want a big round of applause. I don't need pity applause. No, you're, you're not you're, a big loser. You're a, you're a pretty big loser. You're a pretty big, and I, for one, am really, I'm sorry about that. And I think everybody else here feels really sorry for you. Come here. Come on. Bring Thanks. I, I really appreciate yeah. your concern. You bring it in. Okay. I'll okay. see you later at the, uh, the after party. There's an after party? Never mind. Oh, hey, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, tell your mom I, I like them apples. Good one, Jason Bourne. Thanks for watching. If you like that, okay. subscribe to our YouTube channel for all the latest. Thank you. All right. We can get now back to, okay. All right. I, I, that was, if you're not familiar with it, Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon have this ongoing feud between the two of them. Very hilarious. And uh, this morning... Uh, what we're going to be talking about is what many people consider to be a feud between Kepha, Peter, and Shaul, Paul. And uh, so I thought it would be nice to come up with something light. I actually uh, find it hilarious watching those two interact with one another. Galatians, of course, is the book we are studying. Often, again, people have considered it a book about grace versus law, but instead uh, our understanding is that it is a book about God's unlimited grace, which he provides us through our personal faith in Messiah Yeshua, and this gives us the security of his peace. So when we think about the book of Galatians, we want to understand that the book is all about the Besorah, the good news, God's righteousness. That's what the book is all about, all right? So today, again, we're going to be looking at something. It's the crisis of integrity, crisis of integrity. And so uh, let's go ahead and first read the text. So turn with me, please, in your scriptures to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Galatians, chapter 2, verse 11. Page 1,114. If you're having trouble finding it, page 1,114. 
All right, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain people came from Jacob, he regularly ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of everyone, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here we have in this text this interesting confrontation. It's fascinating, actually, in so many ways. We'll kind of unpack it here. But we have to understand the context. This is, these are what, five verses, four verses, 11 through 14. It is still an introduction to what is this long section. I want you to understand, I want to reiterate this because I'm going to say this over and over again. The book of Galatians has this massive section, the bulk of the book, dealing with one topic, the purity of the Besorah. A clarification as to the purity of what the Besorah, the good news is. How does a person come into right relationship with God? That is the only focus. And we're going to unpack that, especially from a theological position moving forward, because there's an awful lot of confusion about this. Now, the big idea here, though, that we're going to focus on today is very practical. How do you confront people? Do you walk on stage chewing an apple and kind of pile it on? You know, maybe not, but do you pile on when you confront people? Here we have a situation where we have a confrontation from someone who is a minor leader to someone who is the key leader. Kepha, the minor, uh, Shaul, the minor leader. Kepha, Peter, really the leader. At this point, because this is all pre-Acts 15, the leader of the Messianic Jewish community in Jerusalem. And yet there is a confrontation. And so we learn an important principle that I want us to focus on, and that is that scriptural confrontation must seek to preserve two things, the integrity of the good news and the integrity of the individual confronted. Two things. Scriptural confrontation always focuses on preserving the biblical truth. The biblical truth, and in our context in this text, the Besorah, as well as the, the integrity of the individual confronted. Right? It's all about protecting these two things. We're going to talk about it this morning. So the first thing we're going to do is focus on the confrontation. Again, when we look at the text, you look at verses 11 to 13. I mean, what's fascinating here, oh, and I got a map. <clears throat> Peter, and this is not found in the book of Acts, really, but Peter's hanging out in Jerusalem. And this is somewhere, again, before Acts 15. So it's somewhere in like 10, 11, 12, 13. He goes from Jerusalem to Antioch. So he goes up to Antioch, which is off the map up there. It's that dot right at the top. He goes up to Antioch because the community there is growing. And there are many people coming to faith, both Jews and Gentiles. And at this time, Barnaba and Shaul, Barnaba specifically is up there, and he grabs Shaul, and they're trying to minister to these people. And so 
Peter goes up to check it out because he's like the leader again. And what occurs is that when it's just Peter and he's with Barnaba and he's with Shaul, they're all together. It's one united group regardless of background and they're worshiping the Lord and they're fellowshipping together. But when people come, as it says, from people from Jacob, from James, the brother of Yeshua. So in other words, from emissaries, now not Peter, but emissaries from Jerusalem and from uh, James come or Jacob comes, there is this sense now that things are no longer clear. Before these people come, it's clear in essence. But after they come, it's not clear. Now what's going on? Have you ever thought about this? Have you read this passage and wondered really what's going on here? I mean, the people sitting around having pork roasts and an over, over an open spit. And, uh, and, and uh, Peter feels guilty about it because the guys from James come up because they're bringing kosher meat from, uh, from Hungarian in Jerusalem? No, it's not like that. A couple of things we have to understand. In the first century, Jews and Gentiles didn't socialize. We cannot appreciate it. We cannot appreciate it. But if you were an observant Jew, meaning if you were part of the Jewish community, all right, if you had not intentionally left the Jewish community, and some of that happened, there are examples of people who were Jews who basically renounced their Jewish identity in different ways, and they left the Jewish community. But the vast majority of the Jewish community didn't do that. And one of the distinct, uh, distinct things they did is they didn't socially hang out with Gentiles. Can you think of one other place in the scriptures where we see this played out? Joseph, his brothers, and the Egyptians. It says Joseph ate by himself, his brothers ate by themselves, and the Egyptians ate by themselves. Why? Because they didn't eat together socially. We don't understand it. But it was a social norm in the time. Jews and Gentiles didn't socialize. That's the issue, by the way, that really comes up in this text. Fact, Kepha was, then wasn't, then others followed because of his actions. Those are the facts that are laid out here in 11 to 13. Kepha was socializing, then he wasn't socializing, and then others stopped socializing as well. Those are the facts. The reason, though, is, is sometimes what, what gets people uh, in a tither. The reason is confusion and fear. Confusion. The confusion is, should we socialize with Gentiles? Should we? We don't do that. My whole life, Gentiles have been considered impure. That's the key. So if you're a Jew and you're an observant Jew, so don't think, you know, you know, most of American Judaism doesn't think. Most of the Jewish community in America doesn't think like this. But think people that really care about issues of purity and impurity, which is the vast majority of the Jewish people in the first century. To go and eat with a Gentile meant you went into a situation that was not Jewish space, and you had no idea whether or not that Gentile kept any kind of a purity, uh, 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 any, any sense of purity for themselves. That's the issue. The issue was not because they're lesser people. It was not because they hated Gentiles. It had to do with issues of purity. Anybody here ever gone to the mikvah? All right. Anybody here ever been immersed in a mikvah? 
Jewish community and the religious community should think observant, conservative, orthodox, maybe a very, very uh, uh, traditional Reformed Jew. The idea is you go into the mikvah and you, you become ritually pure. Uh, my friend Yochanan, who is a uh, sofer, a Torah writer, every morning he goes and he immerses himself in the mikvah because he writes Torah scrolls. He, he fixes them and writes them and he does religious literature. And he wants to make sure that he is ritually clean. There used to be that only the Orthodox would care about uh, uh, mikvahs. You know, they built a mikvah up at the conservative synagogue off the freeway, Beit Hillel. Why? Because within conservative Judaism, it's now picking on the idea of ritual purity. Reform, kind of, but not really the same. But the idea of ritual purity, that's the subject here. That's really the problem here. Are these Gentiles to be expected to be ritually impure and therefore we cannot spend time with them? That's the question. But that's not dealt with really answered in this section. It's answered in Acts 15, by the way. All right? But in this text, that's the point of confusion. That's the reason that Peter and Barnaba and the other people withdrew. They realized that there might be a problem, therefore they withdrew. But really, I think, and this is what really gets Paul upset, is that there was a fear element here. They feared these guys that have come from Jacob, that they are going to have a higher expectation for practice and observance that's going to be then put on uh, the Antioch community. And that's what's dealt with later on, okay? So I want you to understand, when we're looking at this incident, where there's a confrontation, at the very core of the incident is confusion and fear about something that has not been settled yet, yet within the Messianic Jewish community. And it's it's like, if you think about it, if you really allow yourself to think about what the community was like, how they were trying to figure out life as followers of Yeshua, in about 47, 48 CE, AD, you've got to humbly acknowledge that they were shooting in the dark. Okay? They They were trying to drive without maps. Whatever illustration you want to use. Now, The issue here that really gets Shaul mad is the hypocrisy issue, okay? Is the hypocrisy issue. All right, and uh, before we do it, we're going to see another video. Trust is a very, very important thing. Our survival depends on it. We're highly, highly attuned to it. I had the great honor of visiting Quantico Marine Base in Quantico, Virginia. And on the day I was there, this is where the Marines select their officers who will then lead their Marines into battle. And the day I was there, the colonel in charge of OCS was about to give me a presentation on, on, about their selection process and how they run things. And there happened to have been an incident while I was there. And they were considering throwing one of their Marines out of the Marine Corps. So, of course, curious Simon, I said, well, what, what happened? You know, it must have been serious if you're considering throwing him out of the Marine Corps. And they said... Um, we caught a guy falling asleep on watch. I said, in Virginia? Like, that's it? You know, it's not like he was in combat or something. You, find, you, you caught a guy falling asleep on watch in the woods of Virginia, and you're going to throw him out for that. A little strict, don't you think? And the guy said, no, no, you don't understand. He said when we questioned him about it, he denied it. When we questioned him about it again, he denied it again. 
and only when we gave him irrefutable proof that he had uh, fallen asleep on watch did he say, and I quote, I want to take responsibility for my actions. And the problem we have in the Marine Corps is that you take responsibility for your actions at the moment you perform those actions, not at the point you get caught. You see, integrity matters, he said. If I'm going to put him in charge of a group of Marines in combat, and they're not 100% sure that every word that comes out of his mouth is the truth, if there's any doubt that he's saying things to cover his own skin, it puts people in danger and people will die. Unless you're completely, completely honest, we cannot have you in our Marine Corps and we cannot let you lead. Being honest is a very, very simple thing. All it means is you tell the truth. I would rather you disappoint with the truth than appease with a lie. And it goes back to our survival instinct. If we sense for a moment that someone is lying to us, the question is, will we be able to go into a foxhole with them? Again, there's a, there's a benefit to group leaving, leading, living in an anthropological sense. It means that we can fall asleep and trust that others in our group will watch for danger. And if we don't trust that we can fall asleep and allow others to watch for danger, we fear they're going to take something from us or not alert us to danger or not wake us or not defend us, then we'll never fall asleep and we'll never trust anybody and eventually we'll all die. Okay. Listen, that's profound. I, you know, if you didn't really hear it, you should go listen to it again. All right. What he's basically saying is integrity matters. The man fell asleep. He's, didn't, he's not going to get discharged for falling asleep. He's going to get discharged for lying. All right? Lying. Integrity. What is integrity? The quality of being honest. That's terrible. I can't read anymore. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. We live in a society today where people have very little integrity. Just watch the news. <laughs> What's sad is that we live in a society where often religious leaders have very little integrity. If Chaplain Jay Kurtz was here, and I know he's struggling, we've got to keep him in prayer because of his cancer, all right? But he would say, are you a whole person? Are you a whole person? What we're going to do here is we are going to take a look at this challenge from Shaul to Kepha. Because this is really the key practical application for us from this text. First of all, Shaul in this text, I'm going to read it again, verse 14. He says, if you being, let's see, verse 14, but when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of everyone, if you being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And what he means here, again, I want to, we're going to deal with this in the next couple of weeks. He is not saying if you are living like a goy, meaning you are going out and you're eating non-kosher food and you're breaking the Shabbat and all this stuff, that's not it. And I can demonstrate that from Acts 15, which is after the fact here, and the fact that Shaul is the one who's been getting down on him for this. And yet at the end of the book of Acts, 20 years after this incident, Shaul is saying, I have never broken any of the laws or the customs of the Jewish people. Don't ever think that Peter ever ate anything that was unkosher. Because Paul never ate anything that was unkosher. It wouldn't even come to their minds. If you have any questions on that, talk with me later. But in this situation, the thing that Shaul is really upset about is 
the inconsistency of Kepha. Now, if any of you know me well, and most of you know me well, I have my inconsistencies. We all do. You don't think you have inconsistencies. You have to confess your sin for lying, okay? The issue here is that this is a huge public issue. Huge public issue. Leaders are always held to a higher standard. Leaders have to stay awake, Zachary. Leaders have to be consistent as much as they can possibly do it. People have to see that there's integrity, that they are whole people. Shaul is saying, dude, you're messing things up here. You are eating with them because we've been all together eating ever since this Kehillah and congregation came about. Because, yeah, I mean, a quarter of the city is Jewish, but these Gentiles came to faith, and what are we going to do? Tell them that they can't believe in the Jewish Messiah? Yeshua said, go to all the nations. So we've been hanging out. Kepha, they're not impure. Kepha, they understand the expectations. This is a Jewish communal grouping. Remember, the Jewish belief in Yeshua, Christianity, all right, which meant the Christianos were followers of this anointed messianic, which is just a Greek word for Jewish concept, was always seen as a Jewish sect until after the destruction of the temple and probably until you get to the, to the second century sometime. So, Kepha, yes, they're Gentiles, but Kepha, they understand that to be a part of our community... That, that they're not going to bring pork-laced gefilte fish. Kepha, don't worry about it. When they come and they hang with us, they're not bringing in meat sacrificed to idols. Kepha, everybody in the Roman world does bathe on occasion. They're not bringing in diseases. Okay, just trying to cover the board here. Kepha, do not be inconsistent. These are brothers in Messiah Yeshua. Don't withdraw from them for fallacious reasons that are irrelevant in our community. Shaul also went on to say that there's an issue here because by withdrawing, you're taking away from the Besorah, the good news. The Besorah that says that all people come into right relationship with God by faith alone. You're in essence giving in to this group from James, this small group from James that still has it in their head. The Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be in right relationship with God. Kepha, that's wrong. That's false teaching. People come into right relationship with God only by faith, period. It's all about a preservation, as I said, of the Besorah, the good news. But the last point, I think, was an important motivating factor for Shaul. Kepha, your integrity as a leader is at stake. I'm sure that for, you know, when you compare the two individuals, Shaul is this highly educated, probably 35-year-old guy. He used to learn from Gamaliel. He knew all the secret passages in Jerusalem in the temple area. Shaul had all this understanding, but Kepha walked on water. 
Kepha spent three years with Yeshua. Yeshua said, do you love me? And Kepha said, of course I love you. And so Shaul wanted to make sure that Kepha, at this point of confusion, didn't make some stupid mistake that would damage his integrity in such a way that his ability to be a leader, really at this point I think the leader, would be impugned. Yeah, James, Yaakov is seen as the leader. You know what? He's, he's Yeshua's brother. That's why, that's why Yaakov is the leader in Jerusalem. But Peter's a pillar, a stabilizing force. And without him, there would be huge problems. This is not a confrontation out of arrogancy. This is not Kepha getting all bent out of shape with Peter, or Shaul getting all bent out, sorry, Peter getting mad at at Paul, and Paul getting mad at Peter. This is Shaul, this is Paul, out of humility and love and actual respect, confronting Peter, because he cared about the preservation of his leadership. Scriptural confrontation must seek Two things, the preservation of the integrity of the good news, the scripture, and the integrity of the individual confronted. Now, a couple of things for us to consider. First, do you consider the effect of your actions? Do you consider the effect your actions will have on how people understand the good news of Messiah? If you serve in an area of responsibility of any kind, Do you understand that people are looking at you to be an example, to show the way? You've got to understand the importance of your actions. You are a testimony for good or for ill. How good is your testimony? Now, all of us as believers in Yeshua have a testimony. People look at you and they know you're inconsistent because you're a human. You blow it. But are you... Are you desiring to live your life in such a way that can, people can see the best or other good news through you? That means you have to care about the inconsistencies. If you are struggling in certain ways, be humbly acknowledging about it. Don't be arrogant about it. Just remember, your actions will either enhance or distract from Messiah's message. God forbid that because of our actions we lead people astray. I've heard more often than not from children, from young adults, that they themselves have not come to faith because they've seen too much in the lives of believers. It's like to point out my own brother Joe has seen so much hypocrisy as a bounty hunter because of some of the work he's had to do in dealing with religious people who have been hypocritical that he doesn't have much good to say about religious people. In what specific actions are you inconsistent in living your life as a follower of Messiah Yeshua? Now, I stuck Shabbat up there because, hey, listen, there's a, we're a Jewish community. In what ways are you not being consistent in what you have said is your observance? All right? I'm not telling you to be dati, to be, to be orthodox in a way that you're not. But in what way are you inconsistent with the things that you say you do value? All right? But more importantly, 
What are your issues and inconsistency regarding the basic things, like your language? Whether it's words you use that are of a bad nature, like, you, I don't know. We all struggle in some ways with language, whether it's swearing or gossip or angry words, you know, whatever. Relationships, you keep grudges. <laughs> Blows my mind. I get mad at somebody, and I forget about it. <laughs> not, not something I really struggle with that much. Some people really struggle with it. There are people that can't remember why they're mad at somebody, but they're still mad at them. That's inconsistent to the gospel message. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Finances. Where are you inconsistent in your finances? Remember, everything you have is from God. Not from you. Are you giving generously in support of the congregation and God's work? Are you just being a responsible steward of the money that you have? If you're not, then it's, it's inconsistent with God's expectation for you. And in this last note, who are you afraid of? Remember, there was confusion at one point, but Kepha, Peter, was afraid of these emissaries from James. Why? Because they held a view, and we're going to talk about this later, next week probably, they held a perspective that was too high and lofty, and it wasn't even an appropriate perspective for these individuals. Yet Kepha came to fear their perspective, and Shaul deals with it next week. Do sometimes you act in a certain way because you walk into a room, and let's say you go to the sandwich club, and everybody over there is orthodox, and suddenly you start washing your hands, but you never wash your hands. You do it because you're trying to, you know, you're afraid of looking like an odd duck out. Hey, first of all, I should tell you, there are plenty of Orthodox Jews I've seen in the sandwich club who don't wash their hands either. And they still eat bread. <laughs> who are you afraid of? Do you adjust your life and really break your conscience because of what other people might say? Now, yeah, there's chains of command and all these things in life and greater community. We have to live together. But... It's more of fear. Who are you afraid of? And this is the thing that said, who do you fear more than God? Let's fear God. Let's respect people, but let's fear God. Let's remember that God is the one who will hold us accountable. And that as we live our lives as followers of Yeshua, right, we develop convictions among ourselves. And individual convictions, communal convictions, but let's fear God and have him hold us accountable. If we see people, though, who are acting in a way inconsistent with what they say, let's not be afraid to confront them. But in essence, to do it the way Shaul did, out of love and for the sake of the individual's integrity. If Matthew walks into a McDonald's, and he orders this grand Big Mac with cheese. And you see him eat it. He doesn't see you. And then he walks out. And then in, he's here at the synagogue talking about keeping kosher. Then the right thing is to take him aside privately and say, you know, I saw you eating a grand Big Mac with cheese. And I thought about this because, man, I wish I could eat that. I got to go to Must be the one they have in Israel, right? But you'd say, Matt, you know, I saw this, and there's a, it's inconsistent because you say you keep kosher, but 
pretty darn sure McDonald's in America isn't kosher, especially with cheese on it. And he says, yeah, you know, I appreciate you challenging me. I gave in to my baser desires. That's how confrontation's done scripturally, to preserve its integrity, to do it in love. I know many of you do it with me. Should you really eat that second dish of food? I know it's out of love for the most part. That's what confrontation is scripturally. Preservation of the vessel rod, the good news, preservation of the integrity of the individual. That's what Shaul did. It wasn't because there was a pork roast going on. Not sure about what's going on. I encourage you to read that text if you haven't done it. Acts 9 through 15. Because there you see it laid out. <clears throat> and Acts 15 is really the key text. And uh, next week we're going to get into the nitty gritty of some of this. We'll keep moving forward in the text, but we're going to be touching on it. To better understand exactly what the heck is going on in the book of Galatians. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. You have provided for us your righteousness through our faith in Messiah Yeshua. And that God, even in this text, that we can understand better what it means to be people of integrity. Whether that's integrity in our own actions or integrity in terms of showing love because of questions about others' integrity. God, I pray that as a community we would be known as individuals who love one another even to the point of speaking bluntly into the lives of each other. God, we thank you that that's illustrated here. We thank you that we see that in the life of Yeshua, our Messiah, in the lives of others. We just thank you, God, for your scriptures, which help us better understand how we can live our lives your way. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.